And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Our guest today is Zane Pratt. Zane is a former missionary, a church planter, and over the last decade plus for me, he's been a boss, he's been a mentor, he's been a friend. Uh, Zane currently serves as vice president for the International Mission Board for training, and I'm really excited for us to have this conversation today. Zane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really good to be with you, Paul. Zane, why don't we start with you just telling us briefly who you are and what you do? Okay, well, my wife and I went to Central Asia about 30 years ago, served there for over 20 years, came briefly to Southern Seminary to serve as Dean of the Billy Graham School. By the graciousness of the administration at Southern, I'm still on the faculty there and very much enjoy my teaching responsibilities at your school. But for the last seven years, I've been in my current role, which is vice president. So I oversee the assessment and deployment process of new workers for the IMB. And then I also oversee all areas of training, including orienting new missionaries to prepare them to go to the field, working with national believers in theological education, and producing training materials for churches here in the U.S. I do have two kids who were born on the field. They're both adults now. They both love Jesus. And my son is back himself in Central Asia now. Awesome. Awesome. That's encouraging to hear. You know, Zane, there's a lot of conversation today about missions, about what missionaries do. A lot of things are kind of put under the umbrella of I'm doing yes. missions. So I, I want to ask you, based on, on your perspective, based on what you see in the scriptures, what is it actually that missionaries do? How do they spend their time? What activities are missionaries engaged in? Well, based both on the commands of Jesus, given at the end of his life repeatedly, that can be boiled down to proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, and then based on what we see the apostles doing, the people who knew him best, and what they did in the years following his death, resurrection, and ascension, well, we are convinced that the core, the heart of the missionary task is, in fact, proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. But if you're going to sell that out, you're going to see what has to go into it as well, We've identified six components that we see going together to make up the missionary task. The first of those is entry. We need to find out where they are, the people who need the gospel. We need to figure out how to get to them, and then we need to be able to communicate with them. So by entry, we mean research, access, and language and culture learning. So Presuming then we're engaged in that, we're among the people who have not heard of Jesus before, then the next logical thing that we engage in, that we keep engaging in the whole time, is evangelism. If the gospel is not involved, it's not missions. 
If it's something that a secular organization could do, it may be very good, but it's not missions. Missions specifically relates to the good news of Jesus, which must be proclaimed with a challenge to people that they should repent of their rebellion against God and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But we evangelize not just to make converts, but to make disciples, as Jesus said. So the third component that we've identified is disciple-making. And that means teaching people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We see that as involving transformation of every area of life into conformity to the image of Jesus and equipping people themselves to do the work of Jesus in the world today. So that's what we do in terms of disciple-making. But where does disciple-making happen? Well, biblically speaking, disciple-making happens in churches, and we're going where there are no churches. So necessarily, as we are making disciples, we also need to be planting healthy churches. And we have a pretty robust ecclesiology. We, we are convinced that the Bible is not a minimalist in what it says about what a church ought to be. It gives us structures and functions of the church, the very nature of the church. So we want to plant healthy churches that themselves will continue the missionary task where they are. And, well, as we read the New Testament, one of those structures and functions is we need leaders. So another component of the missionary task is developing leaders. Uh, we want to have people who are well-versed in Scripture and well-equipped to do the work of the gospel in the world. So we see the variety of leadership roles that need to be trained to, but specifically the office of pastor, elder, overseer, and those three are one and the same in the New Testament. And there are some specific character traits that are given. There are also some specific knowledge components. They need to know the Word of God, be able to teach it, and be able to refute unsound teaching. And then all of that is aimed not towards staying there forever, but toward exit. And so the final component is we want to exit, but not abandon people, rather exit to a healthy partnership in which we go together into the darkness. So that's a long answer to a short question, but those are the things that we see as comprising the missionary task. No, that's perfect. And that's really helpful the way that you lay that out. I like the way you emphasized this is what we see in the life of ministry of Jesus, and then kind of expanding that out to Paul and to his apostolic work and the things that we see there to make up that missionary task. One of the things that you mentioned there was, you know, the local church is the place where discipleship takes place, where training, equipping can happen. And I know you're passionate about the local church and its role, but you also work for a sending organization. So the next question, I want you to kind of talk through those two things together. Why is it important for local churches and sending organizations to partner together in the training and sending of missionaries? Jesus created the church. Jesus did not create sending organizations. As far as we are concerned, the entity that God ordained to carry out his work in the world is the local church. We as a sending organization exist as a servant of the church, as a tool for the church to use to fulfill their obligation to take the gospel to the nations. There's literally no way we can do our job biblically and effectively unless we are, are acting as servants of the church rather than as just an outsourcing agency. So for example, it is the local church that disciples people so that they are qualified themselves to be missionaries. I mean, a missionary is nothing more than a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus where Jesus isn't known yet. You've got to be a disciple first. Where is that going to happen? In your church. And so the biggest part of training missionaries is discipleship in the local church. 
It's also the local church that knows someone well enough to assess them well. And we rely very heavily on local churches to do assessment of missionary candidates to tell us, is this person gifted and qualified? Are they at a state of spiritual, emotional, familial, relational health that they can do this work and do it well in ways that our interview process, we only catch glimpses. The church knows the person. And it is the church who sends them. And we serve as then a, like I said, a tool. We combine resources from many local churches in order to send the missionaries that the local churches have sent. And we're simply the facilitating tool for that. So I literally don't see how we can do missions in a biblical way if we're not wedded at the hip with local churches. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that response. The next question is somewhat related. Would you say that the Great Commission is given to individuals or to churches? And the reason that I'm even asking that question in some ways shows that I am from the West, where we have a, a kind of a hyper individualistic outlook on life, but would love to hear your response to that question. Well, my immediate response to the question is yes. <laughs> so is it given to individuals or local churches? Of course, yes, both. But there's no such thing as a healthy individual Christian outside the fellowship of a local church. And so it's given to all of us together. We have differing roles in fulfilling it. But I see every individual Christian as a goer or a sender. The obligation rests on all of it. We play that out in the setting of a local church. You know, I see nowhere in the New Testament where you could justify the contention that everyone is supposed to go, and if everyone went, there'd be no one to send. And so both roles are critical. It's the church that sort of orchestrates and coordinates it all. But every believer needs to have a sense that the Great Commission is my obligation. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I like that response. The Great Commission is a call to go, and a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. You know, we were talking earlier about the missionary task, and we were talking about church planting as one of those components. You know, there's a lot of talk today about different things being included under the umbrella. I mentioned this at the beginning, under the umbrella of mission, whether that's mm -hmm. starting a school or providing clean water or these kinds of things, all which are good things and good ministries to be involved in. But I know that the IMB has decided to zero in, laser focus their energy on church planting. So can you talk about the significance of church planting in relation to the Great Commission? Again, as we look through the New Testament, what we see the apostles doing is sharing the gospel, but everywhere they go, they leave behind a church. It's just sort of automatic. And I think part of that is because the New Testament makes it clear that in the context of the relationships of the church, 
that we grow to maturity in Jesus. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 indicate that none of us are omnicompetent. Nobody has all the gifts. We all need what everybody else brings to the table. And Ephesians 4 also makes it clear that we grow to maturity in Christ as each part of the body does its work. So literally, you can't make disciples without churches. And if we're going where there are none, we plant more. And even if we go where there are some, it never hurts to plant more. And another thing that we have observed is that when the church focuses its mission on good things that aren't involved in sharing the gospel, discipling believers, and planting churches, that's all they do, and it stops when they leave. Hmm. On the other hand, if they go to make disciples in the context of local churches, what is a disciple? But someone who obeys everything Jesus commanded. And so those disciples are going to meet other kinds of needs, and they're going to make more disciples who meet other kinds of needs. And so if we make disciples, the whole gamut of biblical good works is done, and it keeps being done long after we're gone. Okay. So as we think about the local church, you know, we know that you affirm the BFNM 2000 because you're a, a faculty member here at Southern. We know you affirm the abstract of principles. Both of those statements of faith have articles, statements on the nature of the church. But beyond those definitions, as we think about church planting around the world, what are the characteristics that we are looking for, working towards as we think about striving towards being a local healthy church? The easiest way I know to define a church is that a church is a group of baptized believers in Jesus who are committed to one another to be the body of Christ to each other and who assemble regularly to carry out the functions of a biblical church. And it's all important. Who makes it up? The nature of their relationship is a committed relationship. The BFNM calls it associated by covenant. And then the gathering, I mean, the very word church, ecclesia, means assembly. And an assembly that never assembles is a contradiction in terms. So you've got to have all those. But then as we look at the characteristics that go into that, there's a lot more we find in the New Testament that a lot of people realize. And so a church needs to, to be comprised of biblical members. And so a biblical membership means you have those baptized believers in Jesus who have credible professions of faith in Christ and who have committed themselves to one another. They're produced by biblical evangelism, and a church is characterized by sharing the gospel in such a way as to call people to repentance and faith. So evangelism creates the church. Evangelism then characterizes the church. Biblical discipleship, where we really are striving to see people grow to maturity in Jesus, as we've already defined it. To do that, you have to have biblical preaching and teaching. You have to have a steady diet of the word in a variety of ways that are taught to people, discussed by people, and applied by people in their lives. When they assemble, they engage in biblical worship. There are things that, that we are told specifically are ways that God wants us to properly honor him. And in many ways, the worship of the church is sort of a dress rehearsal for heaven anyway. I mean, this is what we get to do forever. And so we're just preparing for it and having a foretaste of it. But that biblical worship also involves the biblical ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It also involves biblical prayer. But prayer doesn't just characterize one meeting a week, but it permeates the life of the church individually and corporately. The church is led by biblical officers, biblical leaders, 
that I've already said specifically, you have pastor elder overseers who are characterized by essentially being examples of what a good disciple is. I mean, most of the characteristics given are those exactly, the things that should be true of everyone, plus the ability to teach and to guard the flock. And you have biblical deacons who are not some sort of ruling body of the church. The word deacon literally means servant. It's people who are prepared to serve the church in whatever ways are needed, often behind the scenes, so that the work of the church can keep going. It involves biblical accountability and even church discipline, as we do hold one another accountable to the work that God has given us to do. It involves biblical giving, where people are stewards of their resources rather than owners of them, and utilize the things that God has given them to advance the work of the gospel in the world. And it involves biblical mission. If the church is not engaged in the Great Commission, it's not a healthy church. So that's not a minimalist understanding of what a church is supposed to be. But we see all of those as essential. And when we are doing our accounting of churches we have planted as an organization, those are the things that we measure, the things that we look at to say something is or is not a healthy church. Yeah, that's, I really appreciate the clarity along those lines and just thinking through each of those characteristics and how we can work towards that in different contexts around the world. So thank you for the clarity on that in terms of characteristics that we're, that we're working towards, but also the clarity earlier related to the missionary task. I think both of those things are really helpful for us to hear. All right, I want to transition to kind of a, a lightning round where we're just going to ask some questions and look for some some quicker responses. But one of the things that's under your responsibility there at the IMB is kind of the new missionary sending process. So talking to, we don't know who's listening to this conversation, but there may be some who are listening, who are considering a call to missions. What is one thing that they could begin doing right now to prepare for time in ministry overseas? Grow as a disciple. I mean, if fundamentally a missionary is a disciple who makes disciples, then what you need to do is grow as a disciple. And you do that in the context of your church. But that's the full orb of all of that. But that's what we care about the most. If you are a mature, growing disciple in Jesus, then you are 99% of the way toward being prepared to serve overseas. Okay, that's good. But I do appreciate that you said that involves active involvement in a local church. It's kind of crazy to think about somebody saying, hey, I want to go and serve overseas. And then when you ask them, oh, well, tell me what church you're a part of. Well, I'm not really part of a church. Okay, yeah. So starting from the get-go. Yeah, we will not send you if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> starting from the get-go, be part of a local church and dive in deep. Okay, fill in the blank here. The goal of missions is blank. The goal of missions is the glory of God through the redemption of a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Mm, short, <laughs> sweet, and good. I like that. If there was a, an SBC church, and maybe they've never sent a missionary before, how would you encourage them in their current participation in the Great Commission? What I would encourage them to do is to incorporate God's heart for the nations in every sermon and every Bible study where it comes up in Scripture— which, by the way, is all over Scripture, <laughs> rather than just having maybe one mission sermon a year, I would encourage them to incorporate prayer for the nations into every gathering that they have. And we have a multitude of prayer resources. imb.org slash pray. More than you can even begin to handle is there to help you incorporate prayer for the nations 
into your gatherings. And when they hear you teaching on it and praying for it, they'll catch on, oh, this is important. This really matters. And I would say the next thing to do would be to get in touch with us and develop a partnership with missionaries overseas. If you've never sent anybody, we can still connect you with workers. And once you have that personal relationship and people cannot just think of missions in abstraction, but this couple with these children serving in this place, I think those three things together will literally revolutionize your church. Mm, that's good. I'm going to sneak in a question here that I didn't send you in advance. Ooh. It's a two-sided question, but as you kind of think about the scope of missions today, trends and things that you're seeing, what is something that you're seeing related to missions that is discouraging to you today? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, a couple of things come to my mind. <laughs> One of those is in the larger missionary community, and I'm not seeing this in my own organization, but in the larger missionary community, any tendency to separate the mission of the church from planting churches. And so the idea that you can fulfill the gospel by anything other than sharing the gospel, discipling believers, and starting healthy churches. So that's one thing. One thing on this side of the pond that discourages me is the way that so many American Christians make safety the decisive factor in their engagement in missions. An analogy I like to use is it's kind of like someone saying, I'll join the army as long as you promise no one will ever shoot at me. The absurdity of that is so clear that, you know, it doesn't even need commentary. And yet it generally seems to me that the first question I would get when someone found out where I working was, well, isn't it dangerous over there? So I'm like, well, yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) my obedience to Jesus is not bound by or limited by my personal safety, health, convenience, or comfort. Mm. That's good. And that's And that's been true, you know, of the church as we think about throughout history. You know, there's always been threats. There's always been opposition. There's always been suffering and persecution. I was talking with my class at Southern the other day, and I said, you know, we are the exception to the rule. For most of, of church history, Christian history, suffering and persecution have been normal aspects of what it means to follow Christ. And the fact that many of us in, in the West don't face those things on a regular basis, we are the exception and not the rule. Amen. You're absolutely right. Yeah. All right. Let me flip the question around and say, okay, as you're scanning and seeing trends and things that are happening in the missions world, what are a few things that are encouraging to you that you're seeing? Well, I am encouraged by the quality of people we get. We get phenomenal missionary candidates. In our orientation program, as I get to know our brand new missionaries, they are remarkable group of people. And they're a remarkable group of people who are young singles and young couples to retired singles and retired couples who are male and female of every ethnicity. I'm seeing God bring us just an incredible group of folks. And that's testimony to the churches that raised them, as it were, that they've done a good job. I am encouraged at the moment by the fact that after a long time of decline in giving, we are beginning to see an upturn. One of the things that we have that apparently not all people are aware of is that the way we fund our missionaries is we sort of all raise support for all of us. An individual does not raise their own support. And so we talk to churches 
and encourage them to give through the cooperative program and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And adjusted for inflation, that's been either stagnant or declining for a very long time. And we're beginning to see an upturn. And that's encouraging to me. And I'm encouraged by the fact that unlike certainly when I was a child, which is kind of forever ago, back in the dark ages, churches are wanting to be personally and directly involved in missions in ways that they weren't before. And again, they weren't actually even able to before. I mean, I was well into adulthood before the internet was invented. <laughs> so mm. some of the, the communications that are possible now weren't then. But yeah, I would say those are the things that encourage me the most. Yeah, that's good to hear. All right, Zane, last question for you. As we think about local church, Great Commission, if you were, were king for a day and had you know absolute power and control to do whatever you wanted to do as it relates to local churches and global mission or Great Commission, what would you change? What would you do? In many ways, my answer to that question goes to what I said earlier. I would see to it that every church preaches missions every time it comes up in the text, prays for missions every time they gather, and connects with missions on a personal level. You do those three things, and the lives of our churches will literally be turned upside down in a glorious way. Hmm. Well, may it be so. Zane, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation today. My pleasure. It's been good. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.